Thank you, worship team, for leading us to focus upon the Lord. Well, good morning, and please open your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. I will say again, Happy Father's Day. And sometimes churches comfort and encourage the moms on Mother's Day, then beat up the dads on Father's Day. I'm hoping that doesn't happen this morning. What I hope will happen is that you will be encouraged and inspired as I share with you a vision for authentic manhood. Now you'll notice there are a few things up on stage here. You know, sometimes people say, hey, you know, uh, we need some manly stuff here at church. And so Pastor Ed and I brought some stuff, you know, about bike and ladder and golf clubs and, and sports team banners and what have you. And we're going to be raffling those off later. We'll start with Pastor Ed's bike. And uh, <laughs> actually, you know, uh, it, the stuff that you see here on stage that, that are Ed and my paraphernalia, it's just stuff. We're taking none of it with us. You came into the world with nothing, we're leaving with nothing. And I'll tell you what, uh, these are things that uh, we men crave at times and enjoy, and they're the tools of our trade, uh, but they do not define, they ought not to define who we are as men, or who we aspire to be. Uh, It goes much deeper than that. So let's look, and let's uh, stand for the reading of God's word. Titus chapter 2. We're going to read verse 2, and then verses 6 through 8. This is God's word. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech which is beyond reproach. So that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. Lord God, we pray that you would open our eyes this morning as we look at this and other portions of your word. That you would teach us, that you would inspire us with your vision for manhood. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. For the past eight years, I have been involved in a ministry that started when a group of men... Uh, from Voyager's Bible Church, decided to take seriously their God-given privilege and responsibility to teach their sons what it means to be a Christian man. As a pastor, I got swept along in the current of what God was doing uh, by virtue of my position, but these men did this on their own. They initiated this on their own. I gave them a little bit of encouragement But they called their ministry fast, fathers and sons together. They met all year long and had a ceremony at the end of the year where they gave their son a blessing. They pronounced a blessing in in front of other witnesses on their sons. Blessed them. They also gave them a life verse. And they also gave them a sword, a real sword. And some of the moms said, what in the world are you thinking giving them swords, but they were not toys, they were a symbol of the word of God, they were a symbol of the call that God gives to men, a call that's on the life 
of believing men. They came up with a definition of authentic manhood. I'm going to share that with you today. They came up with this definition, and each one of the boys in turn recited this definition that they had memorized. That was in 1999, not too long ago, eight years ago. At the time, my son wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And I remember going to the men, who were all good friends of mine, and I said, selfishly, I want this going on when my son's a sixth grader. So would you please uh, inspire the younger guys to do this as well? Now, a lot has happened since that initial meeting, that initial group. Um, These men were encouraged to pass the concept on, and they did, to the next group of dads with sixth grade boys. They did this with their sixth grade boys, their 12 and 13-year-old boys. It caught on, and it's continued. We even began starting fast groups at a younger age. Michael's group started when he was in second grade. And it's been going now for uh, five for this is our, our fifth year of meeting. So, uh, even at, at our former church at Voyagers, there are presently fast groups for early elementary through high school. Dads and sons getting together, dads teaching their boys with other men what it means to be a Christian man. Simple, simple stuff, but things that don't always happen. So with our move this year, as God called us here to grace, and I praise God that, that he has called us here to be with you. And as God called us here to grace, I uh, talked with my buddy who leads our group, and I said, hey, what do you think about if we got the, the grace and the Voyagers guys together? So this, la- this year, we brought five other grace guys and their sons together, and we met. We met once a month. It wasn't really often, but we met once a month, and we taught our boys. The dads shared the teaching. We met in homes, and and we had a wonderful time together. And you wouldn't know that there were two churches joined together. You'd think it was one. And that we were one. And um, Friday night, we celebrated what every sixth grade fast group has celebrated for the last eight years. We had our fast advancement ceremony. Where each dad gave a blessing to his son. And shared a life verse and presented him with, yes, I know, what were we thinking? A real sword. Here, here is one of them right now. This is my... My son's sword. But I want to show you, I want to sh- uh, we're going to play uh, 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 some slides right now of a picture of that. And as those play, I want to just tell you what we did. Our, uh, as, so, as dads, we committed ourselves to continue to disciple our sons in the ways of the Lord. Each father got up on stage with his boy and in his own words shared a blessing with his son and shared a life verse that he had chosen. And each boy recited the definition of authentic manhood uh, that I will share with you today. And then the dad presented uh, a sword to the boy and commissioned him as a servant. You see that all for one, one for all. All for Jesus, Jesus for all. And um, it was a touching uh, evening. And we chose a ceremony. Uh, each, one, each group has chosen a ceremony. A significant time to remember a marker point. Uh, for our boys, it was pretty much just puberty. Uh, and kind of, uh, we know they're not men yet, but we want to call them to a vision of manhood now and give them something to aspire to and hopefully see some reality in our own lives and honesty in our lives that show that, hey, we mess up, but this is what we're aiming for. We're weak, but, but God is strong, and here is what we're, what we're wanting to be. We want to be uh, embracing a vision of manhood that, that honors God. And just like there were stages to becoming a knight, there are stages to becoming a man. It's not a one day you wake up and you're a man. If you wanted to be a knight back in knighthood days, you, uh, 
You didn't just say, hey, by the way, I'm going to be a knight. You became a page first. And then you became a squire. And then some years later, you became a knight. The same is true with our boys. But fast it's a ministry we're going to, we are initiating here at Grace. And boys have the opportunity to learn what it means to be a Christian man in this world as they, with their dads and other dads and sons, study the Word of God together, worship, pray, serve the Lord together. There's a lot of confusion, though, isn't there, about what it means to be a man in the age in which we live. A lot of confusion in the world and in the church uh, regarding what it means to be a man, what it means to be a real man. You know, you could look at all the funny commercials and you could think, well, it means, uh, you know, eating big old honking hamburgers. There it goes, three weeks in a row now, honking. Uh, I'm weird. But you eat one of those hamburgers, you need an angioplasty with it. Um, But there is confusion, identity confusion, role confusion, orientation confusion, insecurity, fear, abdicating responsibility. Widespread. One of the saddest things of our society today, I believe, is that there is no defined vision for manhood. And it's like anything goes now. And Christians seem to be just as confused as the world in regards to what it means to be a man. It's like a job with no job description. I mean, what are you, what are you supposed to do if you don't know what you're supposed to do? The Word of God, though, is not confused when it comes to manhood. It's very clear. As the old saying goes, the way to show up a crooked stick is to put a straight one right beside it. And the way to unmask and overcome the world's way of viewing manhood is to lay the straight stick of God's Word beside it. See, while the world view is warped and crooked, God's view is straight and true. Straight and true. We must go to the Word of God to answer the question of what does it mean to be a man. Now, the topic of manhood affects us all. Men wonder. Women hope. Boys aspire. Girls dream. Men wonder whether they are real men or not. Whether you admit it or not, man, you, are, you wonder. We want to be assured that we are, and we even fear that we may not be authentic men. A real man. Women hope for authentic men and dream of finding the right one. Some of you ladies are, you know, praying that God will make yours into the right one. (laughs) Young boys need something to aspire to. Young girls need an ideal to look for. So what are we as men to aim for? I have a definition I will share with you today that captures the heart of what I believe God wants us as men to aim for. And it's not exhaustive. It's not the last word It's not the only way of saying it, but it's a start. Gentlemen, gentlemen, we need to chart a course for manhood. Chart a course for manhood and pass it on to those we're acquainted with, to our sons and to our daughters. Ladies, if you're married, you need something to pray for and encourage in your man. And if you're unmarried, this will give you something to pray for and look for in a man. So what are the marks of an authentic Christian man? Number one, an authentic Christian man doesn't do what the world wants him to do. An authentic Christian man does not do what the world wants him to do. The world may expect something from a man that is unreasonable, that is unethical, that is untruthful, and there is the daily temptation to go that way. But see, God's opinion matters. 
God's opinion matters most. And in Psalm 1, the very first words of the psalm, we read these words. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Do you see the progression? Standing, excuse me, walking, standing, sitting. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. He's wise. God's opinion matters most, but man's opinion affects us. Man's opinion affects us all the time. When asked, who are you, we will usually respond with what we do as men. Well, I'm a banker, or I'm a a lawyer, or I'm a pastor, or I'm a construction worker, or whatever. We find identity in what we do versus who we are. We gravitate towards that. We think our value is earned, and therefore we become very competitive, and we try to outwork and out-earn the next guy. Success becomes the goal, and often at the expense of marriage and children and meaningful relationships with other men. So we need God's perspective. God looks at the heart. Remember 1 Samuel 16 when God was, was choosing a king. And Samuel had the task of going to the sons of Jesse. And Saul had been rejected. And Samuel goes and he sees the first son of Jesse. Ah. Surely this is God's anointed one. He was tall. He was strong. He was the eldest. But God says to Samuel, don't look at his appearance. Don't look at the height of his stature, just like the kids sang so well. And and by the way, Colleen, those words of blessing that you shared uh, touched our hearts. And the kids uh, touched our hearts. But it doesn't matter how tall you are, how rich you are, or how smart you are. And God says, I've rejected him. God sees not as man sees. You know the verse well, 1 Samuel 16, 7. Because man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God had looked at the hearts of the sons of Jesse and found a man with a heart after his own heart. God's opinion matters, and the Lord looks at the heart, and we look at the outward appearance. And we make a whole bunch of conclusions based on looks, based on uh, the, what we think is truth before we even know. It's not the external, it's the internal substance that determines direction. Internals, though, drive externals. The mouth, as Jesus said, speaks out of that which fills the heart. And so, we choose a lot of time based on the condition of our hearts. And choices matter. Our choices matter. In First Peter chapter 2, Verse verse 1, it says, Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. In verse 11, it says, I urge you as aliens and, and strangers, beloved, abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent. Among the Gentiles, so whatever they slander you for, 
They're going to glorify God in the day he comes back. In the day of visitation. Our choices matter. Actions speak louder than words. And it's not based on appearance. It's not based on stature. It's not based on accomplishments. It's not based on ability. Actions and choices flow from the heart. And we're to reject whatever is not in accord with the word of God. A real man rejects ungodliness. Rejects passivity. So an authentic Christian man doesn't do what the world wants him to do. The second thing goes right along with it. Instead, an authentic Christian man does what God wants him to do. And in case you dismiss this as too general, you've got to take a hard look at this one. A real man seeks what pleases God. God's pleasure rather than his own. No longer living for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again on our behalf. A real man seeks and accepts God's will. In 1 Corinthians, the very end of the letter, chapter 16, Paul, he gives five last commands, five military commands, strong commands, And here's what he tells them to do. He says, be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all you do be done in love. Strong words. Watch. Be alert. Be awake. Against Satan and temptation and apathy and indifference. Stand fast. Be firm. Take a firm stance. Judge everything by the word of God. Not your own understanding. Be brave. That means mature courage. Act like men. Be mature and be courageous. Be strong. Be strong. That means inner inner spiritual growth. It's in the passive voice. It means be strengthened. Ephesians 6.10 tells us to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And then the last challenge tells you how to do it it tells you what to do and then it tells you how to do it It says let all you do be done in love be kind be loving in all things that balances and complements everything else above all things put on love the perfect bond of unity we love because he first loved us first john four nineteen. you see we as men go to two extremes one of two extremes we either abdicate our responsibility or we be, and become passive. Or we run people over in our attempt to get what we want. We will either be strong and too strong, or tender, too tender. And God has given us two gifts, strength and tenderness. Firmness and gentleness. And they both must be held in creative tension, not blended. Just held each in one hand or the other, as it were. Uh, balanced. Allowing God to use us who are strong but also tender. Why is it that we men, we look strong on the outside, or some of us do, and we can't take a, 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 a criticism from our wife? Man, we just reduce to a puddle of mush. If our wives say anything that gets us a little bit, uh, feeling a little bit, oh, I don't know, disrespected or dishonored, she might not have meant it that way, but we take it that way. 
We're to do what God wants us to do. Not do what the world wants us to do. Do what God wants us to do. And there's a third thing that goes right along with it. An authentic Christian man serves his family by leading and providing for them. Serves his family by leading and providing for them. Takes seriously his God-given responsibilities and roles and initiates and engages. We are made men to be initiators. We are built that way. But how is it that we would somehow abdicate our initiating role? And, in, and then, in essence, force someone else to take it for us. Because it will be done. The family will be led. How come so many women wish their men would stand up? Stand up and initiate. See, an authentic Christian man, he knows he's weak, but he does what he's called to do in God's strength. His vocation as a Christian and husband and father, brother, worker, etc., Accepts the responsibilities that come with the territory. Ephesians 5, we'd have to go there, wouldn't we? Come on, guys, go there with me. Ladies, show them where it's at. <laughs> Ephesians 5. Let's just, um, let's just look at one verse. I'll take it easy on you guys. We all, you know. Uh, let's just go look at verse 32. Ephesians 5, 32. Paul says, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Don't forget that. But he's using an example of family life. He's using an example of marriage and how the husband-wife relationship pictures the relationship between Christ and the church. And in verse 33, he says, nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself. Love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Drop down to chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Verse 4. Fathers. Now that word was addressed to, it's pater, it's addressed to fathers. But it also can be applied to Moms and dads, but right now it's Father's Day, so let's read. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are to not provoke, not exasperate. That means don't bring them, don't do things, don't live in such a way that you lead them along the path to being, uh, having a deep-seated anger and resentment towards you. To be sullen and, and resentful. See, we as men are to lead and to provide. We are to lead our family and we are to provide for our family. Lead uh, get, uh, conjures up pictures of courage and strength and dignity and honor. But what do I mean by leading? I don't mean making every decision. Giving leadership. Servant leadership. A leader who serves, who undergirds the whole picture, who lives like Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To give leadership, servant leadership. And leadership is action. It's not position. It's not demanding what you deserve because of your position. 
Leadership is acting based upon a calling in your life. So take action for the welfare of your family and lead. Humbly, gently, unselfishly. When Jesus described himself, he said, I am humble and gentle in heart. In me you'll find rest for your souls. If we lead in such a way like that, our family will be able to rest. It's not easy. It's not easy with all the things in your life, men. We have a lot of expectations, and sometimes we feel like the expectation is going to crush our back. And you got the expectation at the office, you got the expectation at home, and at the church, and in the community. And sometimes, don't you just feel like saying, I want a clean slate. Too many expectations. Too much pressure. We all feel it. We feel the pressure. It's not easy. But God calls us to lead. And what God calls us to do, he enables us to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. He will enable us, though we feel like we have no strength to do it. And then we need to provide. Provide for the welfare of our family, again, by initiating and engaging, both spiritually, in a responsible way, and in an unconditional way. How many times do we as men get get embittered towards our wives? Colossians 3.19 says, Husband, love your wives and don't, become, don't be embittered against them. It breaks my heart, and I do it sometimes. I get embittered towards Angela, and God has to break my heart and bring me to repentance because that's a wrong state of mind, a wrong state of mind. You know, we men fear something we don't verbalize. Every one of us fear it, but we can't say it. Being disrespected. Being held in contempt. Again, when we criticized, when we are criticized, we interpret that as disrespect and, and things get weird. <laughs> Just things get weird. And that fear, coupled with an unhealthy reaction, sets in motion a chain of events that leads to us becoming angry and bitter and resentful towards the very people God has called us to lead and to serve. Our wives and our kids. My dad was, uh, I've mentioned this before, but my father was a Los Angeles policeman for 30 years. I'm very proud of my dad. Uh, he was there for me. I'm hoping he'd be there for me second hour today too. They're coming in from a vacation and they're, they're hitting, uh, hitting town in a few minutes. But he was there for me. And I praise God, not all of you had dads who were there for you or that are there for you. I know that. I was blessed. I have blessed. I am still blessed. But I'll tell you what, uh, as a policeman in Los Angeles, their motto, written on the door of every patrol car, you know what it is? To protect and to serve. To protect and to serve. And that is what my dad did with our family, and that is what we as men, as authentic Christian men, are called to do, to protect and to serve our family, to provide a spiritual covering for them. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Sorry, guys. Your husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman 
That is a good thing. Lift her up. She is a woman. It's it just pointing to the fact that women in general are physically weaker than men. Not all, but most. I know that. But in general, all right? But look at this. It says, and show her honor. Lift her up. Honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. As a joint heir. That we are equal spiritually. Yes, we've been given different roles by God in the home and in the church. But we are equal, on equal footing spiritually. And we are to grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Why? So that our prayers, men, will not be hindered. There is something about having unreconciled, messed up relationships with people that wrecks our relationship with God. And God says, you don't live with your wife in an understanding way. You don't honor her. You don't lift her up. You can't pray. It's right here. Your prayers will be hindered. My prayers are hindered when I treat Angela in a way that does not show her honor and does not lift her up. 1 Timothy 5.8 in the context of helping widows. It says, if someone does not provide for their family... They are denying the faith and worse than an unbeliever. No one wants that indictment. We're to provide. It's an important responsibility. So an authentic Christian man, authentic Christian man, doesn't do what the world wants him to do. He does what God wants him to do. An authentic Christian man leads his family, serves them by providing and leading them. And fourth, an authentic Christian man builds relationship and prays with other believers. Primarily men. Men, you don't need to pray with my wife, and I don't need to pray with yours. All right? I'll tell you what, when you pray with someone, a bond is created. And men, how, how hard is it for us to pray with our wives? Especially when we are maybe struggling. It's tough, isn't it? Not a lot of, uh, there's not a lot of Christian couples that pray together. You can try that today. Seriously. Just try it. Pray with your spouse. Pray with your wife. Uh, and again, and pray with men. You don't need to go around praying with a bunch of other ladies. Uh, if you're married, pray with, the, pray with the, uh, the one God gave you. Start there. That's a protector as well. We want to do the right thing. But we don't always do it. Uh, Titus chapter 2, the, the scripture passage we read, go there. Titus 2, older men, older men. Paul wrote this when he was around 60. He didn't use the word for elder. He used the word for older man, advanced in age. Different word than elder. And he says the older men were to be temperate, sober, restrained. They were to be reverent. Honorable, dignified. They were to be sensible, self-controlled. They were to be sound in the faith and in love and in perseverance. And then he has words for younger men. And interestingly, it's pretty much the same list, just reworded. And younger men, that was men 12 and over. Young men, 12 and over. Be sober-minded, be sensible. In all things, be an example. Be dignified. Sound in speech. Hmm. Sound in speech. Daily conversation that can't be condemned. But it's an interesting thing. 
If you look at verse 6, it says, likewise, urge the young men to do this. Interesting that the uh, older men didn't have to be urged, but the younger men did, which points up the fact of younger men needing to be reminded. Needing those reminders. Needing their father to follow after them uh, diligently with discipline. Needing other godly men in 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 the fellowship to help them and to encourage them. I am so thankful that my son Michael doesn't just have me, but has many of you men and other godly Christian men in his life that are also helping to teach him and to model for him and even to correct him at times. That is a gift from God, a gift from God. See, we want to do the right thing, but we don't always do it, and we need help. We need other men. We need other men that we can trust. That's why I'm such a big proponent of men being in small groups with other men. Not big groups, small groups. See, in a big group, you can hide. See, in a small group, you can hide too, <laughs> but just not as easily, all right? Um, and, and I mean uh, getting with a group of two or three other guys on a weekly basis and meet with them and read the Bible with them and pray with them and s- share your life with them, share your struggles with them, hold each other accountable in a relationship that is confidential and trustworthy. We all need that. I've said this before, but I've told people a long time ago, if you meet me and and you ask me, are you in a men's group? And I say, no, something is wrong. I have been in a men's group continually from the time I was at Downey First Baptist to Voyagers to here. Got a group of three guys I meet with every Wednesday morning. And I need those men as well as the other men in my life. I need that accountability. Because if not, if you don't have that accountability, you stray. We stray. We, We get cold. We get, we get in ruts, and uh, we need these open, honest, accountable relationships with other men. Uh, we men are called by God to be uh, spiritual guides for our sons and our daughters, and we can be more effective in that crucial role when we are connected with other men who are like-minded, and we share that responsibility with one another into each other's lives and families as well for support and encouragement and advice and prayer. One last thing. The fifth thing. It's probably the most important one. A Christian man, an authentic Christian man, what does he do? Here's what he does. He looks ahead to a reward, to a great reward, to a reward at the end of life. He looks ahead. His eyes are fixed on a greater goal that is bigger than meeting year-end forecasts. It's a mission bigger than himself. It's a cause that transcends everything. Because we serve a king and a kingdom that is bigger than us. We serve a king and a kingdom that is bigger than us. So we can set our hearts on a heavenly reward. A someday reward. A well done, good and faithful servant reward. Now we know. Any reward that comes our way in the Christian arena, we will lay at the feet of Jesus. We know that. Our rewards are unearned, unmerited, given all by grace, but given to people whose hearts are completely God's. I think of David. I think of David. We kind of looked a little bit when he was chosen as, anointed as king. 
But I want you to look at 1 Samuel 22. There was a, there's a place that, ha- there's something that happened. There's a lot of wacky things that happened in David's life. Let's just say that. And, and there's some wild things that happened. In, a, in the span of a few short chapters, some wild, crazy stuff happened. Um, David, David was anointed king, but wasn't king yet. And Saul was all freaked out about it. Somebody was stealing his thunder. And the people were saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Saul was not happy. And Saul wanted to kill David. And Saul tried. And David is running for his life. This is after he had killed Goliath. And, and, and David is running for his life. And he goes and he, he pretends like he's a madman. Remember that? He pretends uh, to Ahimelech that he's a, he's a crazy guy. And, and then you come to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel chapter 22. And David... David goes to a cave, the cave of Adalam, and his family comes to him. And the scriptures tell us that everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was discontented, there's a sermon outline, uh, in distress, in debt, in discontent, gathered to him and he became captain over them. He was their captain, their leader. 400 of them. So what happens? David goes to Mizpah. And he asks the king uh, to, to take care of his father and his mother. So the funny thing is, he breaks one command by lying and, and bearing false witness. And then he keeps the fifth command by honoring his mom and dad. That's an interesting thing. But then his, Saul's paranoia kicks up a couple more notches. And Saul sinks to a new low. He's angry at his son Jonathan for making a covenant with David. He's angry at the priests for helping David. Angry at the world for losing favor uh, as king. And there's a guy named Doeg. Like a dog. (laughs) Doeg. And Doeg, in league with Saul all the way, evil man, he takes the opportunity and he tells on David and Ahimelech. In verses 9 and 10, he says, Hey, Saul, I know where David is and I know what he's got. In fact, Ahimelech helped him. He prayed for him. He gave him food. He even gave him Goliath's sword. All right? So what happens? Saul accuses Ahimelech of conspiring with David against him. Ahimelech pleads for his life. And he pleads for the life of the priest, but to no avail. And Saul has the priests who were at Nob slaughtered, killed. He murders everyone. Men, women, boys, girls, animals, everyone. Ahimelech loses his life because he helped David. And everyone did. He lays down his life for his friend. Compassion is not always repaid in kind. 85 men were cut down. 85 men who wore the linen ephod. They were men of God, set apart men, men who had no portion but God. And then there was a man named Abiathar. Are you with me on this? Then there's a guy named, there's all these names, but then there was a son of Ahimelech, Abiathar. Abiathar, cool name, cool name. Uh, He escapes And he runs after David. He goes to David and he tells him what happened. And David tells Abiathar, he who seeks my life seeks yours too. Stay with me. You're safe with me. Yeah, right. (laughs) Safe with David. Getting hunted down by Saul. Um, His dad, Ahimelech, Abiathar's dad, got killed for that. So what does Abiathar do? He stays. Stays with David. See, if you were with David, you were messed up, 
or you had a price on your head, you were an outcast, you were not popular, he had a ragtag bunch. Distressed, downcast, in debt. And guess what? God formed them into a community in the wilderness. He formed them into a community. And this group became an army. Not just any army. David's mighty men. Men of renown. Men whose lives were not dear to them. Men who were willing to risk it all because they had nothing to lose. Completely abandoned to the cause. Mighty men, men of renown, they they received God's seal of approval. See, they served a kingdom bigger than themselves. They served a king bigger than themselves. Men who were distressed and, and dead and discontented came to David, and he became their captain and leader. Abiathar looked to David for security, for safety, for rescue, and it's kind of like us in Jesus. Except we have no strength to go to him, so he comes to us. See, we need rescue from sin's power and penalty, and we need security for eternity. And the greater son of David became our deliverer, our captain, our leader, sent by the Father to rescue fallen humanity. So we look to him and we're saved. We're safe. Jesus came to us who were in distress because of sin, in debt to it, discontented with life. He sets us free. The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. And our captain and our leader brings us to safety. See, knowing Jesus puts life in perspective. As man, we look at manhood or womanhood or boyhood or girlhood. It's all preparation for eternity. All preparation for a day to come. Because we uh, believers, Christians, brethren are Citizens of a better country. We have a better hope. We have a heavenly hope. So God inspires us to glorify him. You know, as the kids sang, the measure of a man. I love that song. God looks inside to the very bottom of your heart. Don't doubt your worth in God's sight. He looks at you with mercy and sees you through his love. The measure of a man is not how tall he stands or how wealthy he is or how intelligent. God knows and he understands and he is at work in you. See, because of that, because of that we receive something some of us don't get here on earth. Approval. Approval. Some of us are still seeking our Father's approval. We may or may not get it, humanly speaking, but God's approval, that is what we really need. To hear him say, well done. Some of you have never heard your father say, I love you. I am proud of you. But to hear God say, well done. I love you. I am proud of you. See, dads, some, some of dads, you had a dad who was there for you and some you didn't. You know, it's interesting for knights. Uh, it used to be you could buy your knighthood, but then around 1050 in Spain, they made a, a decree. They said, no one can be a knight unless his father was a knight. And sometimes you feel like, hey, if my dad wasn't a godly dad, then how could I be a godly man? But you know what? Jesus, 
Jesus can break patterns of ungodliness. Jesus begins new generations that live for him. New generations that are sold out to his cause. Because God is our heavenly father. And ultimately, if we want an accurate picture of an authentic Christian man, look no farther than Jesus. Look no farther than Jesus. He did not do what the world wanted him to do. The world wanted a a political leader. He did what the Father wanted him to do. He came to do the will of him who sent him. He served his family by leading and providing for them. Pictured by taking care of Mary, his mother, when he was on the cross. He built relationships with others and he prayed with them. Great model of prayer with the twelve and even in his inner circle, Peter and James and John. And he looked ahead to the great reward that awaited him and us. Us. In Hebrews. In fact, I want you to stand with me right now. We're going to close the service right now. And I want you to read this. We're going to read these verses in Hebrews. Chapter 12. It says this. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. And here it is. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you that we can look to you this day uh, to make us the men and the women and the boys and girls that you want us to be. We look to you, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for your work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As you're dismissed, I want to say if anybody needs prayer for anything, uh, come on up. Uh, Myself and others will be up here. Remember the bookmarks in the bulletin as well. i got some verses to read this week, and God bless you. Have a great Father's Day.